0: This episode of Grilled by the Staff Canteen is sponsored by Westlands, the premier specialist British grower of microleaf, growing cresses, edible flowers, inspired leaves, sea herbs and specialty tomatoes. Visit www.westlandsuk.co.uk to find out more. Before we go into this episode of Grilled, we want to let you know that we are currently recording most of our podcasts via Zoom, so the sound quality is not as good as we would like. We are hoping to resume normal podcast service as soon as the world turns itself back the right way round.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Grilled, uh, the Star Canteen podcast for chefs. My name is Tani, I'm the Deputy Editor of the Star Canteen and today we are talking to Ruth Hanson. She is our chef to watch for the month and for very good reason, because Ruth... Has been everywhere. Um, she So she trained at the Ritz. Uh, she was the the um, first female young chef of the year. Not that that matters, but hey, breaking grounds mm. is always good. She was on Great British Menu. She was on Million Pound um, Menu. She has been the head chef at Pomona's and is now the head chef at the Princess of Shoreditch and is aged 24, am I wrong? Just gone 25 last week. Just so. gone 25. So yeah, definitely, definitely one to keep an eye on. Hello, Ruth. How are you? Hey. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> Good. One thing I forgot to mention, the highlight of the career, of course, was to be on Cara's uh, Lockdown Locking Live earlier this year. Obviously, of <laughs> yeah. Sorry, is, but I Like any other uh, interview I've done. So. <laughs> the very best, for sure. So this uh, this podcast is obviously for our listeners to get a better idea of who you are. Um, I want to try and make it a little bit different because obviously all of the media has wanted to talk to you because you're a great chef and a really interesting person. So I'm going to ask you, before we start into the normal que- interview questions, I'm going to ask you a few sort of uh, curveball questions yeah. uh, just for people to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so... If you had to choose between search engines and social media, which one would you pick and why? Um, Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I
2: think I'd have to go search engine Uh, just because, you know, I think it's more useful and you can use it to find out things that you don't know, whereas social media is things that people put things on social media, but it might not necessarily be something that you want to see. I mean, that's obviously it. I do like social media, but if I had to pick between the two,
1: I think it would be search engine. Okay, that's very pragmatic. I would probably just give in and be like, nah, just, just give me Twitter. I'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, but it would be very
2: <laughs> and not
1: facts. I agree with you. You're just a better person than me.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, hopefully we never get to
1: the point where we have to choose. So, <laughs> No, hopefully not. Uh, second question. Would you rather uh, get caught watching something that's definitely not safe for work at work? Or accidentally send send something rude about your boss to your boss um definitely the first one <laughs> yeah, I'm probably with you on that as well uh okay, next question. this is a bit less sticky, but I feel like it says you learn a lot about a person about when you ask this question. What is your coffee of choice? a macchiato macchiato good yeah. I like it, I like it. Uh, do you have chocolate with or without nuts, and what color?
2: Uh, dark with
1: nuts okay, good, good. I'm with you so far. Uh, okay, we're not going to make this political, but uh, who would you rather cook for, bearing in mind these these couple of couple of things. So would you rather cook for Donald Trump, who reportedly lives on a diet of McDonald's McMuffin meatloaf sandwiches? Big Macs fillet of fishes and chocolate shakes like no kidding you apparently that's what that's like the core of his diet or uh, Boris Johnson who apparently is on a diet but previously professed to living on a diet of birthday cake bagels bangers and mash and tuna and salads
2: um <laughs> that's a tough one let's go with Boris Johnson
1: at least he has a
2: few kind of things in there that aren't just branded
1: yeah <laughs> Although Donald Trump might just tell, tell you everything you cook is, is great. Probably. Probably wouldn't be big <laughs> A couple of last ones. Uh, obviously, this is a podcast, so I'm going to ask you, do do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, I do. I think it's it's a nice thing to do instead of,
2: you know, you listen to music
1: and things, but it is one nice thing that you
2: can do while you're walking around or, and you don't necessarily, I think as chefs, we don't necessarily have long periods of time where we get to sit down and read a book. Um, or read the news or whatever. So it's a really nice way of kind of not interact with people, but kind of interact with the world and what's going on. Otherwise yeah. you end up being in a bit of a bubble. Yeah. Um,
1: because you never, you know, you never watch really like live news and things. So. so you were saying you obviously don't get very much time to read books, but if you had to to name your favorite book of all time, it doesn't have to be a cookbook, but it can be.
2: Um there's a book called The Sorcerer's Apprentice, I think, which is really cool. Um a woman went to El Bully and she, she you know, she wasn't actually in the kitchen, but she just kind of observed for a couple of months like how they how the kind of whole system works and she had some crazy facts like um there's sixty thousand people used to apply to because i believe they just ran the whole place on stagios basically. Sixty thousand people every year would apply to go there. Three people are and you go and you know, you don't get paid or anything, but you 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 learn and it was a, it yeah. was a really interesting
1: yeah. yeah, you you sign up for maybe the chance to go. Um, it's exactly. probably probably l- as likely as winning the lottery or something. Like, it's, it's very slim, right?
2: Yeah, but <laughs> a few lucky people got it, so. I think it's quite, yeah, it's quite strange. For me, it feels quite strange that that's how you would win your restaurant, but I guess it works, and people, like, all of people are getting some of like experience, and other people are kind of getting free labor, so
1: yeah interesting. would you go if you could well obviously most chefs would say yes to this but if you could just get propelled into it would you do it
2: yeah I think so definitely obviously it's
1: closed now but yeah unfortunately but yeah. Uh, yeah
2: why not I think you only get you know you only have a certain chance to do things
1: and if you if you get given those chances I think you have to do them otherwise you'll end up regretting it yeah that was kind of your whole approach to getting into food but I'll come to that because uh I want to ask you a question about like how you really got into into food there's a there's a story that I've seen online a couple of times about you age 13 uh having to choose between a polytunnel and a trampoline and you chose the polytunnel because you loved growing vegetables
2: um yeah no definitely I think uh it was, it was a hard choice but I did love that trampoline um <laughs> but you know I think it- It was something it was a hobby for me. It was something fun that I found um quite unique. I had quite a lot of time and I lived in a small town, so there was not so much going on all the time. So it was one thing that I really kind of just got stuck into and really enjoyed. And it was nice that you could kind of go from having these seeds and then a couple of months. I mean, depending on what you grow in, some things were really quick. Um, and other things like apple trees and things are a bit more of a labour of love. I never got any apples when I was at home, and now finally, uh, my mum and dad keep sending me pictures because obviously they still
1: live there of all these apples they've got. And I was like, "God damn it, <laughs> the fruits of your labour. How much you're so unfair. <laughs> so, how did you like? How did this hobby, hobby come about? did Did your parents grow stuff? Did you just see it on telly sometimes? Like what? Um, my parents didn't necessarily grow things. My auntie and uncle did, and I used to go stay with them uh, for a couple
2: of weeks every summer. Um, and they had you know they grew they've got a huge garden it's really nice and they used to grow uh strawberries and raspberries and rhubarb and things and we'd always make jam and things with it um and I think that's probably where it stems from I thought oh, it'd be cool to to do something myself so I dug up the end of the garden once when my mum was away on holiday <laughs> I <started> planting things.
1: <laughs> it's definitely at the the odder end of um like the, the naughty things that kids have done <laughs> you're probably in a in a Small small pool of people who could say that. Did you get a chance to do any gardening during lockdown? Is that one of the things that you that you did? Because I know a lot of people turned to that during during the few months where they weren't uh, able to work in restaurants.
2: Yeah, to be honest, we did I did a bit from Bob's, but not so much. Um I kind of used lockdown. I was I was doing lots of things that I wouldn't necessarily do in a restaurant. Um, so like gyozas and bao buns, and we use a lot of British produce here and a lot of classical French techniques um but I used it kind of not not for any particular reason but more for myself and just exploring different cuisines that I don't get to cook but
1: I love eating where where did you spend lockdown were you, were you in London or did you go back to northeast or
2: uh, no I was in London so I lived with my partner um which was nice to be able to spend so much time with him yeah because usually that doesn't happen uh, he's a development chef as well um so he was still working actually he works for a big company called Premier Foods um so they helped do all the packs and things for the vulnerable um so he was still
1: quite busy that's good did you um did you help him out at any point or is that is that something that you have ever dabbled in
2: um yeah i mean obviously i was helping him out because i I didn't have so much to do myself so we were filming videos and things so they were looking a lot into the side of um helping people kind of use their products to set up maybe their restaurant boxes and things so we were doing lots of filming and bits and
1: bobs of that um and so you uh took on your role at the princess of shoreditch and how have things been since you reopened it's
2: been really good actually there's been so much positive feedback and i think the amount of people have actually taken the time to come out um it's, it's been really nice although i say that after the new restrictions lunch has kind of gone a bit because so obviously yeah. in there, there's lots of businesses um and usually you know, usually that would be people coming out for lunch with their uh, people that they work with and that's not allowed anymore. Um so that's yeah. It's a bit tricky.
1: Yeah. But yeah. So you're, you're Having to make up for, make up for it in the evenings.
2: Yeah. And Sundays have been I mean, Sundays have been crazy, a lot busier than I could have imagined. So.
1: so how has it been, um obviously you were at the moments before, but um how has it been having, you know, the full control over the menu and being able to exercise your own like creative control over the the entirety of the the food offering
2: yeah it's been amazing obviously down to you know it's not just the food offering as well because we complete you know we completely changed what we were offering here
0: we had refo
2: and i was you know i was able to kind of have my input on the design of the restaurant all the tableware and glassware and cutlery um yeah so i've had so much input it's it's been great you know because those things matter as well at the end of the day it's not just you know it is the
1: food but all those the little things do support what you're making so oh, and to have your own your own brand on it and it for it to be personal to you just means that you've got so much like all of that like all-encompassing experience for people
2: yeah we've had some kind of great little pieces made as well some wooden boards um from a guy who's in worcestershire and some little plates and sauce jugs from a from a woman in north yorkshire um and it's been really fun to kind of work with them as well and you know you pick up the phone and say this is what i want
1: and then see it come to life. Um and it's been really cool. Yeah. It's awesome. It, it must have been quite a frustrating few months for you. I, I mean after being at the Ritz, you've had a few stop, stops and starts. Um um working with you know you had your million pound menu project um and if you I, I don't know if you want to tell us about what happened with that um and then you were at Pomona, so I, I don't know. I don't know wh- why you decided to turn the page, but th- has it been like a freeing experience for you to finally be like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I've got a project, and I'm set on this, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing this for the foreseeable.
2: Yeah, I think. Um, I can't really say too much about it without dissing so a certain chef. So I'll just skip over them the menu things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. In my in my previous kind of roles after I left the Ritz, that that you know it's like everything you start a project and it kind of seems great at the beginning, but then slowly down down the road you realise that maybe your your goals and aspirations and that of the owners don't really meet. Um, you know at the beginning probably everyone's excited to be working together, and so they just kind of maybe ignore little niggles that they've got, and then further down the road you like actually we we don't see eye to eye. Whereas um, this project you know I'm, I'm lucky i found a great owner um who really shares the same views and beliefs and goals as as i do so it's very exciting to be on this planet
1: i mean i've i've looked at the the menu like i was saying before and it is like a love letter to british produce every single ingredient just seems like the best of a region of britain and i know that that is something that you're you're quite you know you're quite fond of it and it's quite close to your heart can you can you tell me a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, I think especially now, you know, it's really important to um, support small suppliers and producers. I think COVID has really uh, emphasised on that. And a lot more people have thought about that from home, from their home purchasing as well, you know, where they haven't been able to get things from the supermarket. They have gone and hopefully for the better now, they're kind of educated a little bit more of themselves about the reason why we need to support them. Um, and, you know, They're absolutely fantastic now. It's so much better than it was maybe 10, 20 years ago when France was probably dominating the fruit and vegetable market and the cheese market and things. We have got better at so many things and I think it's really important to kind of highlight and showcase that.
0: Voting is now open for nominees in the Staff Canteen Awards 2020. There are six categories and the nominees with the most votes will go through to our shortlist. The winner of each shortlist will be decided by you, our audience, and they'll get their hands on a must-have gold mug. Go and take a look at our nominations page and vote for your favourite. Make sure you share on social that you have voted and support your chosen nominee. To vote, go to www.thestaffcanteen.com forward slash TSC awards. Voting ends on the 3rd of November. What are the things that motivate you? I think, I think
2: definitely it's kind of customer satisfaction. That's the one thing. That I think most chefs would tell you, you know, it's, it's if you see somebody puts an ink in their mouth, and if you see their expression, they love it. That's that's kind of the best feedback you can get. You know, people can say that was great, that was great, but you can never, you can't really hide that first expression when somebody eats something. Um, and it's that, and it's that kind of gratification. You know, I think we we all love being, you know, we like to make people happy, and we all love being told that. We've been able to make somebody happy. I yeah, I think that it, well,
1: food. I think personally, for me, food is the best way to do that. It's it's there's something about your love for like your original love for growing your own veg as well, which is like you see something through. So you start with something and you end with something, and you see the the reward of what you've done.
2: Yeah, definitely, because you know it's, it's like lots of dishes and things in the kitchen. Growing veg is a labor of, labor of love, you know. It doesn't and it doesn't always work out, and you've kind of spent six months waiting for it to come, and then maybe it's not it's not so great. But it's you make some, you make it great because you've grown it, and it's the same with any dish like stocks and sauces and things that take hours and hours. You have to kind of
1: yeah always look after it like a little baby or something. In your time on television and taking part in competitions you as a as a chef have built up a reputation for someone that is very good at maintaining calm and composure and focus and obviously someone that that perseveres because you you know uh you tried for young chef of the year a couple of times and you got there yeah. and you got your, you you know you got yourself onto great british menu which you know nobody really knows how they pick people but they seem to always find the best chefs in the country so like w- what would you say for you is like, how do you do that? What is it that that allows you to have that sort of focus and calm composure?
2: I don't know. It's quite a difficult one. That I think, I think being organised obviously helps helps you a lot, and and practice. You know, I, I spent especially when I was at the Ritz. I think whenever I did competitions, you know, I was there working every every single hour I could uh, to make sure that no matter what happened, like there was variables that I could control. Like this might happen, but I know that I'll do this and always forward planning. And I think maybe a lot of that was, I did a competition called World Skills. Um, yep. So you do kind of like, it's it's like the, not the Columbia Olympics, but uh, Vocational Olympics, because there's somebody from lots of different skills. So there's like a hairdresser, a bricklayer, a beautician and a chef and you all go as like this team you care. But you do kind of three, four years training before you go. So it's not just about your specific skill, um, but also about how you react uh, to different situations and you do like psychology training and it was very intense but I think I learned that- so much from it yeah it's it was it was crazy but I learned so much from it not just not just about bettering you know my cooking skills but about my competing skills and being able to kind of thrive so I think that's I think that's it so now kind of anything else that I do after that it's kind of like oh that's fine <laughs>
1: that's a great great attitude to have um and then I, I know that one of the things, well, the thing that got you into cooking was the um, Springboard's Future Chef competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Springboard is a great charity and they do loads of stuff for the industry. What would you say the value of those kind of initiatives is? And do you see yourself, like, being on the other side of that and doing mentoring or doing anything like that in the future?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, since, since then I have judged Future Chef. I've been, I think I've done everything for that. I've been a mentor. Um, I got a student three to the national finals, not last year, the year before. Um, so it is something I really love to do. And I think it's the competitions like that that are, that are for the younger children um, need to be happening a lot more often, I think. Because for me, if I didn't do future chef, I would never have thought to be a chef. Although, I, as I say, I love to grow vegetables and I love to cook. Um, it wasn't something that I would have ever thought to do because I think being a chef has got a certain stigma, Um, you know, and I always thought that I would go to university and, you know, I wanted to become a doctor at that point, you know, I tried, you know, I was kind of really trying a lot at school. Um, And I think if I, if I'd have said to myself, like 12 year old me or something, oh, you're going to be a chef. I would have laughed because I thought it was quite, you know, something that people fall into. And I think that's what a lot of people think. Um, yeah but it's kind of competitions like future chef that really highlight how great the industry is um and you know make it more of a professional industry
1: rather than what people think it is if you're not in the industry there's there's definitely a lot of stigma but there's also a lot of stigma being broken and I, i'm sure like the the typical questions that people always ask female chefs is like your experience as a female chef but i think we're almost getting to a point now where that's like an irrelevant thing to say because it's perfectly accessible and, and there are plenty of amazing women in this industry.
2: The thing that I would think about is whether whether it's um, a lifestyle you could kind of maintain if you were, if you wanted to have children. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, personally, that, you know, it doesn't really affect me. Um, but if you did, if you were somebody who really loved cooking and you wanted to be a chef, but also you wanted to have a family, I guess that was, that's where the difficulty comes in. And maybe that's why people are like females are deterred from there's lots there's lots of options now you know there's lots of kind of contract catering and other things that aren't aren't so kind of rigid with doing double shifts and working so many hours so there's ways around it but I think that personally for me that that's kind of the main thing that deters women from coming in
1: yeah yeah for sure but it's probably also likely now that having that conversation is easier and yes it might stop you from you know maintaining a contract in a in a hotel kitchen but it doesn't mean that the most progressive of the like of employers aren't going to keep you on or aren't going to mm-hmm. want you back and you know there are plenty of them out there now when you when really mm-hmm. you look at the high caliber chefs is there anyone that you particularly look up to in in the industry um i always I guess and i think cold. oh do you mean female sorry what no anyone <laughs> generally okay. like Figureheads.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I always say this, but definitely my first two head chefs, uh, John Williams from the Ritz and Frederick Forster. He was my first ever chef. I actually met him at um, Future Chef, and it was him that kind of put the idea in my head that I would come to London and become a chef. He gave me his business card and said, you know, if you are ever in London, give me a call. So that's so what I did. I kind of finished my GCSEs, um, found a flat on Gumtree and gave him a call and said, look, I'm in London. I need a job. hope." <laughs> Help yeah he took that risk you know I was only kind of I'd just gone 16 at the time and I didn't really have any training whatsoever but he took that risk
1: which I'm forever grateful. Oh and you you made that leap going from home to to London so I guess what he saw in you was someone that was a risk taker an adventurous person. (laughs) Yes a mad woman. (laughs) Where are you in your mind space right now like are you in a contented position uh in your role uh is there anything that you think like right in the next 5 years I want to be doing this or are you just like happy that you can go to work every day given the circumstances and just going to focus on that
2: Yeah I mean yeah so I'm content where I am um I think as in you know I'm here and this is this is what I want and this is where I want to spend my time. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be content. You, you're never content with what you have. I, you always want to kind of, you always want to do better. And that's, and that's I think, a good trick, you know. Yeah, for sure. Keep, keep progressing and hopefully, you know, things will get better and better. And that's all you want for, well, that's all I want for myself and the team here. But I don't think you, never, you should never
1: kind of say, right, that's it, I'm content. You always want to better yourself. And do you see yourself ever leaving the capital? Is it is it a place that you like to be in terms of its food scene? Yeah, I mean that's a tough one. Not not now, you know. Maybe when I'm old. <laughs> <Nowhere> <laughs> You're away. certainly certainly a far cry from that. Yeah. So I think,
2: um, <laughs> you know, if I ever if I ever moved anywhere,
1: it would be but it would be back up north. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, certainly not in the foreseeable future. How are you feeling about the, the sort of current circumstances with this restrictions and the, yeah, yeah, that one? <laughs> um, yeah,
2: I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? You just have to kind of take every day as it comes. And um, as I say, I'm just very grateful that people are still coming out and kind of trusting us and
1: having that faith because obviously without, the,
2: without customers,
1: we're, we've got no one to cook for. Like having seen how people have come back, do you think that people... Were scared of coming back, or do you think that people literally just did what they were told, and now that they're allowed to go back out, they're like, yes, running back out to restaurants?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's split, and I
1: do think that comes with age. <laughs>
2: <laughs> really, I think everybody who's young kind of thinks that they're going to be able to fight it off, and they're just kind of invincible, as we always do, really, with anything.
0: <laughs>
1: um, whereas people who are in those high risk categories obviously are a lot more wary. Oh, and and when you think about it, in a you know, in any kind of higher uh calibre of cooking, you're dealing with higher price points. So you you, you know, you, you have to depend on that demographic to an extent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um which makes it which makes it tricky. So I, I hear what you're saying.
2: Yeah. Although we're not we're not too expensive actually.
1: We've opened with I think a very reasonable menu. Good. Don't be scared off young people. <laughs> you'll be seeing me for a roast soon don't worry that's already that's right. already on the on the cards <laughs> well listen Ruth it's been lovely to talk to you I'll let you crack okay. on cause I'm sure you've got a uh, dinner service to prepare for cool. thank you
0: we hope you enjoyed this interview and if you have any comments feel free to tweet us or comment on the post. Uh, We're making all of our interviews available to download and if you want to support us to continue creating great content with amazing people from the hospitality industry please take a look at our contribution scheme on www.thestaffcanteen.com This episode of Grilled by the Staff Canteen is sponsored by Westlands, the premier specialist British grower of microleaf, growing cresses, edible flowers, inspired leaves, sea herbs and specialty tomatoes. Visit www.westlandsuk.co.uk to find out more.